press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Tuesday, September 6. You'll grow out of it. That's the advice Catholic schools are being told to give students wanting to change their gender. The Australians revealing today the powerful Catholic Bishops' Conference is telling schools they should support children by allowing them to wear different uniforms or use different bathrooms, but they're warning against the use of puberty blockers, hormones or surgery. More on that and the implications for politics in just a moment. Workers should be allowed to strike simultaneously across multiple major companies, a key national union says. Business is increasingly concerned about the federal government's plan to allow unions to negotiate for workers across multiple employers all at once. They say it'll mean whole industries could be shut down without warning. The unions say it's time workers got more of a fair go. Plus, later in the episode... A grieving family asks the coroner to give them answers about the police shooting of Indigenous teenager Kumanjai Walker. The nation's peak Catholic body has issued formal guidance for Catholic schools on how they provide pastoral care to students experiencing gender and identity issues. The Catholic Bishops' Conference says schools should uphold the primacy of biological sex and avoid an approach of affirmation. Our Canberra Bureau Chief is Joe Kelly. He has the story and he joins me now. Joe, I'm curious about that word affirmation. What do the Catholic bishops mean? They actually go further than that, Claire, and they say there are actually a, a number of concepts now that are widely out in society being discussed, which are in conflict with uh, Catholic principles as well. And they're talking about ideas like gender fluidity, about gender being arbitrarily assigned at birth. So they're advising Catholic educators and uh, leaders in the education sector to be mindful, I guess, that there's now a gulf or a sense of conflict between uh, a lot of the mainstream thinking on some of these, you know, sensitive and difficult topics and what the church says. So this is trying to provide them with a pathway through where they're taking care of the needs of vulnerable students while also maintaining the spirit of uh, Catholic traditions. So, Joe, they're essentially saying this is a phase, this will probably pass, but there are some concessions, aren't there? Like they're saying that if a child, for example, wants to wear the uniform of a different gender or use a different toilet, that that might be okay? Yes, that's right. So on this uh, question of, well, are there things that schools can do to cater to the immediate needs of students? Then yes, it says uh, there's nothing wrong with providing uh, unisex bathrooms or, or change rooms where that increases options or the safety of, of the kids. Uniforms, they're suggesting that there can be flexibility uh, with the uniforms. And uh, these are obviously measures aimed at, you know, improving uh, the well-being and the experience of the child. But yes, you were right. In the broader sense, they are effectively saying, for the most part, in the vast majority of cases, we think this is a phase um, that the student will pass through. But uh, in the interim, here are things that we can do. That's right. Joe, are the schools asking for guidance on this? What's made the Catholic bishops put out this statement? 
Well, the statement notes that we're experiencing a period of rapid change in society where there are now changes to legislation, changes in people's perceptions about gender and gender identity. And they say that these changes are putting pressure on principles uh, and that principles can expect to have more pressure on them about how to respond to these issues at schools, what positions schools take and their response. So uh, they're responding to a shift, a pronounced shift in society, which operates at a legal level and both also in the sort of uh, sphere of uh, public opinion. Many of the churches, including the Catholic Church, want some form of legislated religious freedom protection above what exists presently. Do you sense any appetite in the government to get that on the legislative agenda anytime soon? Well, you've got to remember this is an issue that's going back about sort of four, five years now. There certainly was an appetite at the previous election, the 2019 election, and the coalition government didn't do anything. Anthony Albanese says he will, but I don't think it's one of his priorities at the moment. I think that issue's probably slipped down the hierarchy at the moment. It's sort of all about the economy, cost of living. Those are going to be the priorities for Anthony Albanese. And even when it comes to these cultural issues, I think he's far more concerned with things like the Indigenous voice to Parliament. So be interesting to see how he responds to this story. Joe Kelly is the Australian's Canberra Bureau Chief. After the break, a cop was acquitted of murder for shooting teenager Kumanjai Walker in the remote Indigenous community of Yundamu. Now the case is back before the courts. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. A coronial inquest into the death of Walpuri man Kumanjai Walker has begun in Alice Springs. Northern Territory Police Officer Zachary Rolfe was acquitted in March this year of his murder. This inquest will examine the circumstances around Rolfe shooting Walker dead in 2019. To tell us more, we're joined by our reporter Matt Cunningham in Darwin. Matt, what's happened in the inquest so far? Well, so far we've heard from community members and family members of Kumanjai Walker... We heard from Samara Fernandez-Brown, who is Kumanjai Walker's cousin. We also heard from Ned Hargraves and from Robin Granitz, who are elders from the Yundamu community. And basically, they've been telling the inquest about the family's feelings about what happened on that night, and in particular, the fact that they had been locked out of the Yundamu police station on the night that Kumanjai Walker was shot dead. Kumanjai was only 19 years old when he died at the police station of Yundamu after being shot three times by Zachary Rolfe. That is a fact that cannot be disputed. He died without his family's support, even though we stood just outside begging to come in to see if he was okay. So just for a bit of background, we know that Constable Rolfe was part 
of this special police team known as the Immediate Response Team that was sent on the 9th of November 2019 to Yundamu. Now, it was in a house in Yundamu where Kumanjai Walker was shot dead by Constable Rolf after Kumanjai Walker had stabbed Constable Rolf in the shoulder with a pair of surgical scissors. So after the shooting, after those sh- three shots were fired, Constable Rolf was taken back to the Yundamu police station. But today we heard about the fact the family had been locked out of the police station while Kumanjai Walker was inside. They knew he'd been shot, but they didn't know exactly what was happening. And they were talking about how frustrated, in fact, the word they used was terrified they were on that night. So Samara Fernandez-Brown, Kumanjai Walker's cousin, she told the inquest, she said, in the dark, we waited, pleaded for answers and begged for the smallest amounts of information and we got nothing. And she also said that Kumanjai Walker's family gathered only metres away from him, yet we were all robbed of the opportunity to say goodbye. She said, I can't imagine any circumstance where this was acceptable or excusable. Matt, is Constable Zachary Rolf represented at the inquest? He is represented. His lawyer is Luke Officer and his barrister, David Edwardson QC, who represented him in his murder trial, is also here. Now, we know that Constable Rolfe's lawyers have made an application to basically prevent the inquest from hearing about a range of issues, 13 of the 54 issues that have been listed to be heard at this inquest, they've raised an objection to. They're particularly concerned about the inquest hearing evidence around Constable Rolfe's previous use of force incidents that he'd been involved in um, with the Northern Territory Police and some other incidents that they don't want this inquest to hear. So on Friday, there's actually a full day of the hearing that's been set aside to hear those legal arguments. Now, calls are growing for an inquiry into the decision to charge Constable Zachary Rofe over the fatal shooting of Kumanjai Walker in the Territory two years ago. Now, Rolf was acquitted of all charges on the grounds of self-defence And we heard from his barrister last night about calls for an inquiry as to why he was charged in the first place. Matt, one of Zachary Rolfe's critiques of the police after this process has been that it was too rushed to charge him with murder, you know, that that murder charge happened before a coronial process had been gone through. Is the coroner going to be looking at the decision-making in the Northern Territory Police to charge Zach Rolfe with murder just days after the shooting? Well, there were some public comments attributed to the coroner, Elizabeth Armitage, that said that that wasn't going to be a focus of this inquest. We know that the Independent Commissioner Against Corruption has launched a specific investigation into those matters. However, on the witness list for this inquest, there are some of those witnesses that those issues might pertain to. In particular, Superintendent Kirk Panuto, who was in charge of Operation Charwell, which was the police investigation. Also, Detective Sergeant Kieran Wells, who was one of the detectives in charge of that investigation, that police investigation into the shooting. And also some senior police executives, including the Deputy Commissioner Michael Murphy and the Assistant Commissioner Nick Antisich, who were involved in meetings that took place before the decision was made to charge Constable Rolfe with murder. They're all on the witness list, those police officers. We won't hear for those police officers for several weeks, in some case for a couple of months, but it will be interesting to see whether they are actually asked questions by Constable Rolfe's legal counsel about the events that led to him being charged with murder. And just finally, Matt, Zachary Rolfe wants to go back to the beat. He wants to be a cop again. How's that going? Well, he is a cop again. He's back working for the Northern Territory Police Force, or he has been briefly. I think there's 
some frustration from him that he's basically been assigned to desk duties and he's since spent some time off on leave. But he certainly does want to return to the full-time job back on the police beat. Um, we heard some frustration this morning when we heard from some of Walpuri people who gave that informal evidence to this inquest that he was back working as a police officer just months after he'd been acquitted of the murder, after being charged with the murder of Kumanjai Walker. So I think there's a bit of frustration on both sides of that argument. Matthew Cunningham is Sky News' Darwin Bureau Chief. The King of Rugby League, Wally Lewis, says he ignored a doctor's orders to quit football and save his brain at the age of just 26. He's opened up like never before in our newest investigative podcast, Head Noise. It's available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at headnoisepodcast.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.